look at Joshua today, and this, this phrase was in my head because I saw an illustration when I was looking at a Bible study lesson, and it just stuck with me. And the illustration, it, it, you remember the Battle of the Alamo. And in that battle and in the Alamo, there's a legend of what took place because there was only one man that survived. And it was written about 40 years later about an incident that happened right before the end of the whole siege of the Alamo. You've got 180 soldiers inside the Alamo ready to defend it. A few days before, Captain William Barrett Travis had sent out a letter And in that letter, they call it the victory or death letter. And he sent out the letter and he requested backup. He requested reinforcements because Santa Ana's army was coming toward the Alamo. There was 1,800. Don't know the actual count. I couldn't find it. But anywhere from 1,800 to 6,000 soldiers in Santa Ana's army. And they're, they're at that little mission church, the Alamo, and those soldiers are coming in. And I guess they got less than 100 reinforcements because they said it was about 189, some say 250, but not the number they needed. They were in the Alamo, and there was a lot of names there, Davy Crockett, Jim Bowie. And uh, they, there came a time when, when Travis, Captain Travis realized reinforcements weren't coming, and they had reached a decision point. And he said, we don't have reinforcements coming. What we have is what we got. I'm making some of this up, but I'm just painting the picture. And he took his sword, and he, they say he drew a line in the sand. I doubt it was as dramatic as I'm going to make it. Maybe it was better. Real life is better. But he draws a line in the sand, and he says, he gave everyone the opportunity. He said, This is the point. You can come across and join me. If you do, we're probably not going to make it. But we can take out as many of them as we can in our fight for Texans, in our fight for freedom. uh, But you're free to go and stay on that line, stay on the other side. They said that only two men stayed on the other side of the line. One of them, they said, was a Frenchman. And that... He left that night. There's some question about, if it, about his name and all that, but that one guy left, he survived to tell the tale. And the other one that stayed behind, I think it was Jim Bowie, and uh, he was sick with pneumonia on his bed. And he said, boys, carry me over the line. And he made the choice to stand with him in spite of being sick. So... We know what happened at the Battle of Alamo, and that's, that's not the point, but it's a decision point, a line in the sand. And it's the, the, there, there comes time in the Bible, God puts a line in the sand to his people. He tells them to make a choice. And here in Joshua, the Israelites had been in the wilderness for 40 years, and they had followed God, they had wandered through the wilderness, they had they had come into the promised land, Moses had passed away, and Joshua had taken charge, and they began to take land. They began to take the land from the Amorites. God led them through. And Joshua is sick, and 
he's about to pass on. And he calls all the elders together, the Bible says. In chapter 24, verse 1, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel, and called for their heads and their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of your father of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And he begins to remind them of all that the Israelite people had been through, of all that had taken place since the time of the flood. <coughs> and you get to verse number, get to verse number uh, 14. Verse number 13, he says, And I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you built not, and you dwell in them of the vineyards and olive yards which you planted not, do you eat? Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods from which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Verse number 15, he says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day, whom you shall serve. Like a line in the sand, he lays it out. If that's too much for you to put away the other gods, if that's too much for you to put away the, the gods of, that they had before the flood, the gods that the people of the land have, if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, he says, choose you this day whom you will serve. And he draws a line in the sand. He says, whether the gods of your fathers, which your fathers served, that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a verse you see people put up on their house, right? Because in spite of everything that goes on, you make a commitment and you say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I can't tell people what decision to make politically or with what's going on. All I can do is point you to Jesus Christ. And that's been my desire all along. He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Verse 16, and the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up out of, and our fathers, out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way. Wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Let's pray. Amen. So they made the decision, they made the decision to cross over and serve the Lord God, just as Joshua was doing. Joshua gives them an out. And you understand, you have to understand, God doesn't force his hand on anybody. If you choose to serve God, there will be a chastening when you mess up because he wants to show you the right way. And Joshua tells them here in verse number 19, and Joshua said unto the people, you cannot serve the Lord for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God and he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. 
And Joshua said unto the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Joshua said, now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, the Lord our God will we serve and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. So when we look at this line in the sand and, and to stay on topic, when we look at this line in the sand, it's a decision about serving God or following God. A lot of people, you've crossed that line in the sand when you asked Jesus Christ to save you. You came to the decision point and you realize I can't work my way into heaven. There's no amount of works of righteousness that I can do because I'm filthy, Lord. I'm dirty and I can't walk into your house. It, it, who was it? Caleb, a long time ago. He might not even remember. It's like a clean white house. And you're out there and you got muddy feet. God can't let you in the house with the muddy feet. But Jesus cleans you up so that you can come in. It's through his sacrifice. It's through his death on the cross that we have the ability to go into God's presence. So you make that choice. You cross that line in the sand and decide to serve God. You accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. But there's a lot of people for different reasons, and we're going to look at three reasons today, that don't cross that line in the sand. Number one, some people don't want to give up something for God. That's one of the reasons that they decide not to cross that line in the sand. Another reason is that some people want something from God. And another reason is that some people just want to use God for something. So we're going to look at some stories. If you'll turn with me, look at uh, Matthew chapter 19. And you know, this, this line in the sand, it'll come up even after you're saved. God will speak to your heart. He'll want you to serve him. He'll want you to follow. He'll want you to follow in a certain way. Many missionaries come to this line in the sand. God's moving on their heart. He put, places a burden on their heart. And it's, it's like Joshua told the Israelites. It's that decision point. Are you going to be able to do this? When Brother David Drake was here, he talked about all the things that he'd given up. That He, he wasn't bragging. He said, I had to get rid of all this. When he goes out there, and I think it's this month he's going out there. He's got to put his whole life and his family's life into half a shipping container because he's sharing it with another family. So he has to shrink everything. He's got a lot to give up. He's already crossed that line in the sand, and he said, I'll follow God. But they don't want to give up something for God. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse number 16. It says, and behold, one came and said unto him, good master, talking to Jesus, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Verse number 18, he saith unto him, which? Jesus said, 
Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? The young man, he, he goes up to Jesus and he said, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He'd heard Jesus speaking. And he goes up to him and says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him these things. He lists out the law. You know the law. Don't steal. Don't kill. Honor your father and your mother. He said, all these I've kept from my youth up. You can see him checking off the list. Yep, 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 yep. I talk about that list a lot, amen? We like a list. You know, when I was in uh, Cub Scouts, when I was a kid, it was nice. You had that book. You'd go through it. Tie this knot. And you go and, you know, okay, learn to knot, learn to square knot. You know, I never learned to square knot so good as when I was working at the power plant. We had to put all these covers around the, around the gaskets, around the outside to catch any leaks, you know. That had to be a square knot. But when I was in Cub Scouts, it was a square knot, a half hitch, or it was walk someone across the road who couldn't help them. So I don't know. But you had a book, and you could check it off. And man, that was a good feeling. You'd get your bead, and, you know. You had a little seniority. We liked that. And he goes through, and he's checking it off. All these have I kept for my youth. And then Jesus said unto him, in verse 21, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Jesus put a line in the sand. He said, that's good. You did all that. You know, as a preacher, you look at that and you say, Jesus hit him right in the heart. Jesus knew the thing that he was holding back. You know, in Sunday school this morning, Brother Brad, he was talking about, we let God into the house. We let him into the kitchen. We let him into the living room. We let him into this room and that room. But... Kind of like with our guests, but God, not this room here. You know, that's the one we've thrown all the junk into. Y'all don't do that, right? We've never done that. That's the, that's the one that if you open it up, that's your secrets. I just, I just want to hold this back, Lord. You know, it's like taking a kid on a trip. You can only take three toys. Well, Mom, why you got so many? Well, there's a lot of parts to these toys, Mama. <laughs> they have a hard time figuring out. They, they want to keep, keep it with them. And Jesus talks to him, and he, he says, yet one thing thou lackest. He was, he was rich. He was wealthy. He was comfortable. There were others around him that were hungry. I'm not telling you that you got to sell everything and feed the poor. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that feeding the poor makes you righteous. What I'm going to tell you is that Jesus knows what's in your heart. He knows what you're holding back. You might be generous with your time, your money, whatever, but there'll be something else you're holding back, a little idol, just a lot going in, coming out of Sodom and Gomorrah. He, he liked the city. He gets out there and the fires are about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's talking to the angel. The angel says, go up into the mountains. And Sodom says, well, 
Behold, here's a city over here. It's just a little city. Living in the city had been what got him in trouble in the first place. Jesus said, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. That thing, when you let go of it, you begin to see God work. I don't know what it is. God speaks to each and every one of you. I get up here and I load a shotgun and throw it out there. If a BB hits you, look at where it hits you. That's all I can say. Or as Oliver B. Green said, uh, he, he talked to himself up there. Who are you talking to, preacher? I don't know. If your phone's ringing, answer it. <laughs> but he says, Sell all that thou hast, go and give to the poor, that thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Jesus drew the line in the sand, and the rich young ruler looked down at it, and he looked back at what he had, and he looked back at all that food, and he looked back at all the security and the the comfort that he had. He looked at all that. And it says in verse number 22, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He went away sad. He was standing there in front of the man that could give him eternal life. Jesus didn't reject him. He just told him what was holding him back. Read a little further. Go down to uh, verse 27. And we see the opposite of what happened. We see the ones who crossed the line in the sand. Matthew 19, 27, then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the generation when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye shall sit upon the twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. You know, when Peter says we've forsaken all, amen. When Jesus walked by and there he was on the shore, him and I think it was James and John, the Zebedee brothers, but he's, he's there on the shore, and they're mending the nets. They're cleaning them up from the day, you know, shaking out the trash. And those nets, that was life. That was income. That was ability. And when Jesus walked by, and he said, come and follow me, Peter just walked away from him, and he followed Jesus. I'm not asking anybody to do that. I'm not saying that that's what you have to do. I'm saying that what is it in your heart that you're holding back from God? So there's some that won't give up something for God. They stand on the other side of the line. They won't give up something for God. It may be salvation. It may be, I don't know. But there's been many a sinner that have stepped up to the line and said, oh, I'd I'd have to give this up. I'd have to give that up. I'd have to do this and that. And they walk back away from it and they escape over the wall. 
But then there's also others that want something from God. They look at God and they say, well, I just think a loving God. They say it ought to be like this. Let me, let me give you an example. I mean, let's just get nuts and bolts on this. When I was at Calvary Baptist Church, and we, had, we still had a phone on the wall. I, I laugh, but we just don't have a phone here. They tried putting my phone on Facebook. After what I tell you, you're going to understand why I didn't want my phone number on Facebook. But at Calvary Baptist, I answered the phone. It rings, you know. Uh, Brother Grady wasn't there. And uh, we called it dialing for dollars. I know that's not nice and kind for the preacher to say. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a true story. It's a true, it happens. So they call up. Well, I need help with this and that. I need pay a light bill, pay something. And you want to help. You want to help everybody. And you get that phone call and say, I want to. I, I just need help with my phone bill. I just need help with that. And you're like, well, in the nicest way possible, it's like our church really isn't set up for that. We're not able to. I mean, we're a small church. But you're supposed to be Christian. You're supposed to be helping people. Okay. Thank you for calling. But my point is that some people want something from God. They've never really wanted to get close to God. They just wanted something from God. Look over here in uh, John chapter number 6. John chapter number 6. You know the story of the loaves and the fishes. How Jesus fed the multitude using a little boy's lunch. And how he was able to feed 5,000. And after they had broken the loaves and blessed the meal, and the apostles passed the meal out. When they came back, they gathered up what was left after feeding the 5,000, and there was 12 baskets of food left when they, after they had fed the 5,000. So there's a lot of people that are there when this is happening. So John 6, 13, it says, Therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them they had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus perceived, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So they wanted the material blessings. Jesus sends the disciples over across the other way, the other side. He walks out to them onto the water. And they're on the other side. And uh, verse 22, well, verse 21, let's see. But he saith unto them, as I be not afraid. Verse 21, then they willingly received him into the ship. And immediately the ship was at land whither they went. Verse 22, the day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one whereinto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. 
Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. Verse 24, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labored not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. There's a lot more. There's a whole other sermon in this as Jesus explains to them that he is the bread of life. He reminds them of Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness being fed by the manna. He said that manna came down from heaven. That manna came down from God. It wasn't Moses that gave you that manna. And then Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And then he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And he's talking in a spiritual sense. But their mind is on the material. See, there's there's people that want something, but they don't understand what coming to God involves. They don't understand the spiritual blessings. They want the material blessings. It's like that illustration You know, all summer we spent going through the way of the master. And my favorite illustration now that made everything clear was the fellow up on the, he's in the plane. You pull the man aside and you say, here's a parachute. It'll make your ride better. So many churches, we got to stay positive. We got to, we got to keep things positive. We got to keep things upbeat and looking out here and seeing your face. I can understand. I like to see some upbeat looks. But we got to keep things positive. We got to keep things upbeat. So he hands him the parachute and says, this will make your ride better. And the, and the fella goes down the aisle and he sits in his seat. Man, this is lumpy. And he's like, well, it's going to make my ride better. That's a little comfortable maybe. I don't know. But then as he's sitting there and the stewardess comes by, would you like some, something to drink? Yes, I'd like some coffee. Thank you very much. And the stewardess comes by and they hit a little bit of, a little bump. What do they call it? Turbulence. My mind goes blank, but not too bad now. So they hit a little turbulence in the nerve. Whoopsie. And that hot coffee goes all in his lap. His ride's not getting any better. It's not a comfortable flight. He gets up. You know, people were laughing at him as he was walking by. They were making fun of him. He tried to ignore it. And, and, and he wasn't able to talk to anybody. Nobody wanted to deal with him. He gets up. He throws parachute down. This ain't working. He wanted something that wasn't what was really offered. Jesus was there to offer them eternal life, not a meal, not get fed every other day. But Jesus was there to offer them spiritual food. So. The other fella, you pull him aside, look, his plane's not making it to its destination. Does this make you, you don't get any scared flying, do you? This plane's not going to make it to its destination. But this parachute will save you. At the time, we're, all, we're only going to be able to go so far, we're out of gas, we're not going to hit the runway. 
Well, the best we can do is lower the altitude, but this parachute will get you safely to the ground. He puts that parachute on. It doesn't matter how it feels. He walks by the others. They were given the same offer, but they don't have one, and they laugh at him and mock him, and he's like, I don't know why you don't have yours. Because this ends badly. He sits down in his seat. The steward spills the coffee. He's like, I can't wait till we get there. So, So he said, you didn't come to me because of the miracles, because of what God was working. You came to me because you wanted to be filled. He points them to the spiritual picture of the miracle. He says in verse 51, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Jesus often spoke in parables and pictures, and he was describing dying on the cross, giving himself so that we could have eternal life. Verse 52, the the Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And then uh, verse 57, As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, Even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Verse 59, these things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is an hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that the disciples murmured, he said unto them, doth this offend you? He said, what and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. And that's where we get to, he was offering spiritual food. It is the spirit that quickeneth or make it alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore I said unto you, No man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. And then verse 66. It's just coincidence. John 6, verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. There was many of them that didn't cross that line in the sand. They, they, they wanted the food. They didn't want the spiritual food. They wanted the material. They didn't want the spiritual. And then there's the other group that want to use God for something. And for the illustration for this, I think of the politician that talked to my pastor one time and said, I'd like to speak at your church. And, you know, I'm a Christian man and I follow. In. Or how about in the 80s or 90s? You know, I'm old enough to remember when everybody was trying to have their own side gig. Whether they were selling phone cards, whether they were selling nutrition products, whether they were selling makeup, you know, all the multi-level marketing. You know how you succeed at multi-level marketing? First off, you don't do it. As soon as you walk away, you succeeded. 
There are people that do it, though. I mean, they make money. But you want to build your network. You want to network. You want to meet people, right? So whole churches <laughs> would be made up of people networking so that they could sell products, come to the church and want to get something out of it. But see, there's this line to be crossed. Are you going to follow God? Choose you this day whom you will serve. Now, who are you serving when you're doing that? You're not serving God. You're serving yourself, serving mammon. You say, oh, that's mean, preacher. Look, the reason I know so much about them because I looked into them. But uh, go to Acts chapter number 8. Acts chapter 8, verse number 9. But there was a certain man. Uh, let me just set the context here. In the book of Acts chapter number 8, the, the church is beginning to spread the word. There was persecution taking place. And the Bible says, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And they were witnessing to other people. Stephen had just been stoned to death over there in Acts chapter number 7. And, and they began to go out. And here we have Philip going into Samaria. And he begins to witness to the people. And we see Simon the sorcerer that comes out of this. Verse number 9, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that, he, he, that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. So he had a reputation. He had built up. And in Acts number 8, Acts chapter 8, verse 11, <clears throat> and, to them they had, and to him they had regard, because of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. We have a revival that's taking place. We have people that are getting saved and turning to God. That's important for later. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. God was using signs in those days to, to show people that it was a work of God that was taking place. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. You, you think about the gig that Simon had going before Philip showed up and began preaching Jesus Christ. Simon could walk in and he gave himself out that he was some great man. He, he was impressive and he had the clothes and he had the walk and he had the talk and he could make fire come from his fingers. I don't know what he did, but he had tricks and he could tell people. Maybe he told him I could predict the future. I can tell you what's going to happen. Just give me a little money. And he had all this going on, magic tricks that he did to convince people. 
and he sees the Holy Ghost coming on people and he sees a change that takes place and he says, man, this is better than I found in any magic store. And he offers to give a little money for it. He wants something from God. He wants to, he wants to use the power of the Holy Ghost. Add it to his bag of tricks. And Peter said, in verse 21, but Peter said, verse 20, but Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for my heart is for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart will be may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. And as long as I've been reading that, I, I just don't think it tells us whether he repented or not. Because he said, I don't want this bad stuff to happen. Pray for me that none of the bad stuff happens. But there was a line in the sand, and Simon saw people changing. He saw God working in people's lives, and there was that line in the sand waiting for him to cross and and to be on their side of it and to repent of all the things that he'd done. But he chose not to cross it because he wanted to use God for something. The opposite of that we see in Philip. Philip was the one who saw the revival taking place. Philip was the one that saw people getting saved and coming to Christ. And what a glorious time. I mean, that's, let's think about that. That's like this church filling up. And then God sends Philip over to the desert to lead one man to the Lord. That's like this church filling up with people. And, you know, after four or five years, and it's like, man, God's really working here. And God said, Keith, I need you to go over here. But, but, but all this is going on. I need you to go over here. I hate saying that out loud. It might come back at me. But Philip allowed the Lord to use him. He wasn't out to use God. Verse, uh, we see in uh, verse number five. Then Philip went into the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them, and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken taken with palsies, and that were lame and were healed. And there was great joy in that city. And then God sent him to the desert, in verse number 26, jumping ahead, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way, they goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is de- desert. And then we have the story of the Ethiopian eunuch where he gets sent to one man. And for those of you thinking that this goes on forever, we're at the last part. In conclusion, take a breath, check on your reservation. Look at John chapter number 8. There's a line in the sand. Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Mm-hmm. There's one more line in the sand that I want to look at today. We could, we could go on and on and on in the Bible. Yeah. But in John chapter 8, verse number 4, 
They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? And this they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him, because Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. Preachers like to speculate on what Jesus was writing. Maybe he was writing down names they knew. Maybe he was writing down incidents. Maybe he was just kind of scribbling in the sand. Who knows? But whatever he wrote in the sand, there was conviction that dropped on those men there. It said, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. That last line in the sand I want to talk about is God's forgiveness. Those men were convicted in their hearts and their conscience. They didn't stay there with Jesus. They stayed on the other side of the line. I know he wasn't drawing a line for them. But they all went away one by one. Convicted in their own conscience of things that they'd done. He said, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. The Bible says there's none righteous, not one. Nobody has gone without sin. The law's been broken. It's already broke. It's too late. If you'll stand, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.